This is the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, all here in one room today. We have, we have everybody but Dumbass. We have Terry. Hey, everybody. We have Ian. Yeah, Dumbass is kind of lazy. Instead of coming down here, he's staying up in Canada he's, and hanging out. Exactly. And How far a drive could he be? Yeah. And, oh, it's cool. And we have Matt. Hey, everybody. And we're classing it up today. <laughs> we have a special guest. We have a special guest. We have Bryce Blankenangle from the Naked Mormon Podcast. Very well said. Hey, thank you. Well, she, she, um, she prepped me. Uh, okay. Terry, Terry took know. care okay. of it. Yeah, she let me All know. Right, because right. otherwise, I was lost. Right. Hey, telemarketers are one of my favorite things. <laughs> Is Bryce Black Angel there? Uh, you got it close, but not quite. But yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, Appreciate hey, it. No, it's good to have you here. For uh, those of you listening to the audio-only portion of this show rather than downloading the video, Bryce is from Naked Morbanism, and he is naked at the table. That's right. right but the, but Except for the garments. Right, but I this still is got the, those This on. is one of the few times I can verify that the rest of us are wearing pants. I'm wearing shorts. Oh, well, okay. But the bottoms are covered this time, we're sure. That's why we're scooched so close to the table. Exactly. Where this <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, so I guess we're going to get, Terry, are, are you, are you yeah. just going to get started here? I'll go. So uh, Bryce runs the Naked Mormonism podcast. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast and about your history, just kind of give us the lowdown. For sure. Uh, so my show was, um, yeah, Naked Mormonism podcast, like you said. Um, I grew up Mormon uh, in just a small town north of Salt Lake City, uh, a small suburb of it, I guess I should say, you know, true blue Utah Mormon. And then I got to the age of uh, like 16, 17-ish and really started getting apathetic towards church and stopped going like a lot of teenagers do. Um, then I, you know, stopped going to church, kind of cut off from all friends and family, everybody that I associated most with. And then eventually I ended up moving out to Colorado, which, you know, uh, makes it so I can be here live so in, now we can in record studio together, in the yeah. Peterson studios with you guys. Um, but yeah, so I moved down here and then I started debating with one of my friends uh, that's Christian. Um, he would say that Mormonism isn't Christianity and, you know, being brought up knowing myself as a Christian, I would just say, well, you're wrong. You're, you don't know Mormonism. Jesus Christ is in the name, dude. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Come on, don't be stupid. So he pointed me to a couple of places to, to do some research, and I started learning about the history of the church and learning how anti-Christian it actually is. And there's a lot of differences between it and Christian dogma. And, uh, well, I decided that other people needed to know about the history from a, a perspective of somebody that's had the church taught the history to him and learning it from outside sources and comparing the two so started the show this is this is actually a, a common cause of people's religious or religion degrading is actually looking into it and doing some investigation right. and when when people challenge them like that if they actually start looking it, it doesn't always work out so well if they if for their faith yeah it's um kind of interesting how Google is the biggest creator of atheists out there. I mean, that's all it takes is a few hours of Googling things, and you, you can come to an understanding of something well beyond anything you ever thought. I, 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 had, a, I had a weird debate once with, I think, some Baptists about how Catholics aren't really Christians. I'm like, what? They were some of the first Christians, right? <laughs> Where this coming? Oh, they would never call themselves Christians. Like, do you know the definition of Christian? <laughs> right, exactly. And that's kind of that's what I would say to my friend: is Mormonism is Christianity. They believe in Jesus Christ, as He yeah. is their Savior, so on and so forth. But then you start examining how different the dogma is and the Book of Mormon as opposed to the Bible. It's there. There are night and day differences. It's well, unbelievable. But but it's a common thing. I mean, the Catholics will say that the Protestants aren't really Christians, and the Protestants will say that. Yeah. Catholics aren't, and and uh, of yep. course the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, are not Catholics, or not, or well, they're not Catholics. That's true, but they're also not 
Christians, <laughs> right? And and but the Trinity seems to be a sticky point here for a lot of uh, a lot of Christians. And yeah. So and the Mormons yeah. do they they I mean do they reject the Trinity? Uh, do they just not accept okay. it? I mean I, this this. this this is a huge conversation okay. in and of itself that I, I can't really get into, but I'll give okay. you like the a little thirty second version of it. So Joseph Smith initially started out as a very like Trinitarian Christian perspective. Okay, and then he came out with the story that God the Father and Jesus Christ came to him in his eighteen twenty first vision, um, and they floated over his head as separate human beings in the flesh, and that's when his. Uh, thoughts and his comprehension of God and Jesus and what the Mormons call Godhead really started to morph and change and become what it is today. And now it's called uh, an infinite regress modalism, I believe is a technical <laughs> okay. term, okay. Right? All right? But it, basically they they take it all down to a simple phrase of as God is, or sorry, um, yeah, as God is, help me out there. Yeah, Hang sorry, on. I don't Do remember, this, remember is, this. I don't this remember phrase? any of this. Um, so... Um, as we are, God once was, as God is, we may someday become. Oh, okay. I have so that's what that, they say. Yeah. So that, that basically encapsulates all of their doctrine where, uh, if you believe in Mormonism and all of the, the eternal tenets of Mormonism, then you can ascend to being a God and have your own planet and all of that. Like I said, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it it's completely yeah. different and, and antithetical to most Christianity. And Heavenly Mother, right? There's a Heavenly, Heavenly Mother, yes. Yeah. But she's not spoken of. And the, the thing that's said about about that is, uh, you know, God doesn't want people to start taking her name in vain, so we just don't talk about her. He's protecting church. her, just yeah, like Mormons yeah. protect their women, right? You know, exactly. I learned, but Actually, I did learn from Mr. Deity that God is getting it on with Lucy. So <laughs> Australopithecus that, it, Lucy? Uh, no, no, Lucifer, <laughs> right? I mean, Lu, right? Isn't uh, God, and, don't God and Lucifer have a thing? Oh, Lucy. Yeah. I, Actually, I've seen some stuff. I thought you were talking Lucy that. from the Scarlet Johansson movie. Oh, my God. And there's almost a like, lot like none of you guys it, have seen Mr. Deity. What is wrong with Brian, you Brian, that was fantastic. I've seen some of it. Fanfic? <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> no, actually, there are comics. Um, uh, Dawn comics. She's a goddess. And in them, um, Lucifer and whatever they're calling God, he actually is given a name, or actually look identical in their former lovers. So, Why not? This, yeah. I mean, can you think of a better reason that God would have, you know, you know, booted Lucifer out? <laughs> Well, because he had the he had the forceful plan, <laughs> and Jesus had the plan of free will. Right, right? See, we, we you, know this. Right? Yeah, we Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. They're they're oh. they're like blood brothers, basically, or spiritual brothers um, from God the Father and Heavenly Mother. So Jesus came to Heavenly Father with the plan of having free agency and people making their own decisions, and you know, premortal existence going into the earthly realm and then onto the you know post existence and you know the three different kingdoms. Whereas Lucifer came to God and said, "Hey, why don't we just force them all to uh, do?" good nothing but bad Don't and not give them have choice. any yeah, yeah yeah no choice no free will that way they can all go They'll to heaven, all go to heaven. Us, you know and then at that that's the point when there was you know the split off faction and lucifer took a third of the hosts of heaven down to hell with them and yeah that's the mormon version of that and it doesn't f- make um, lucifer sound that bad though the right f- like he, i, I want to get everyone into heaven he had <laughs> our back way better than jesus ever did jesus is the asshole in this yeah. situation 
So what the, what's fascinating is the fence sitters are the ones who skin turned black, right? Is that right? They became the Lamanites. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and actually, before they could get the priesthood in 1978, um, the when black people would die without the priesthood, they would go up and be literally the servants of the people that were holy enough <laughs> in heaven. <laughs> so wow. it's reinstating okay. slavery. Post death. <laughs> so I'm a lot older than you, and my my Book of Mormon had the language, had the white and the lightsome language oh, in it. It had beautiful. all of that. It was, uh, yeah, and right. a, a lot of my family still is kind of stuck in that mindset. I actually have mm -hmm. both, you know the free copy they'll give you from time to time. I actually have one. Haven't read it yet. Although I love the introduction and how it talks about the um, witnesses that verify that this is real. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, there's only like two families there. It's like okay, yeah, that's very convincing. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> like I did a whole episode on that, and it's a, an entire deconstruction of those witnesses because er, when you really examine the actual verbiage used, it's yeah. It's complete. But basically, I, I got my family shit. and the closest family to us to verify all the stuff I'm telling oh, you. Because oh. you can count on those people telling you the truth, not deciding with me. That and they didn't give their own testimonies. Joseph drafted up a testimony and had all of them sign it like a legal note. And isn't it's like, come of it, on. Some of it's like word of mouth, too. So-and-so told me that this was true, therefore this is true. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's, yeah. When you really look at the, like, the verbiage and like... Um, we need to talk about the three witnesses because that's the most important people. You had Martin Harris, Oliver Cowdery, and David Whitmer. They were the three first big movers in the church. Um, they were the th first three witnesses, and then there were the eight witnesses that were the two families separate. Right. And when you look at it, it they and listen to the testimonies or read the testimonies of the people afterwards, it talks about them seeing things with a spiritual eye or seeing them in their second sight, <laughs> which means they were just praying in a field and saying, God, please show us the plates, please. <laughs> and then an angel descended from heaven and showed them the plates. They never saw them. They never touched them. They never did anything. Mm. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. They saw them with sight beyond sight. Uh, I, okay, I call guys, it stoned sight because it was, uh, you know, Joseph Smith always used the stone in the hat. I right. call it his stoned sight. So, yeah, whenever anybody has, like, it's called their stoned sight, their second sight, spiritual eye, whatever they want to call it. Oh, that's funny. So, Keep um, going. one thing we wanted to talk about was uh, because we always talk about masturbation sex, I'm really fascinated about the um, Mormon attitudes about sex, women, and especially about masturbation. I got out of the church when I was probably 14 or so, like a combination of factors. But I remember um, feeling a lot of guilt and shame over impure thoughts that I was having because I was the age at which your mind produces impure thoughts. Mm -hmm. And women were not supposed to ever, like women weren't even dealt with when I was in the church. So I knew that boys were getting all of these anti-masturbation discussions and stuff, but they didn't even talk about that with girls because we don't. You don't have a sex do drive. Women do not we're have sex pure. drive. We're yeah, too exactly. pure. Yeah, no, we're no. too pure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly right. It's uh, the focus is on male sexuality and women uh, as property, basically. I, I mean, you went through it and you got the female side of it, which I don't know anything about. And the male side of it is um, okay. So uh, let me give a perspective of um, somebody that I know that uh, recently opened up a time capsule. 
that they it, it, she she's an ex Mormon now. Uh, she recently opened up a time capsule that she created when she was I think fourteen in Young Women's or so. I was going to say age. in Mutual yep, or something. Yep, they did yep, a exactly. <laughs> so she opened it up, and there was a letter in there from the bishop, of, among many many other really creepy things. Uh, there was a letter in there that said, um, "I know that you've chosen the right man for you know to get married to, and I know that he's a return missionary, and I'm so glad that you made these decisions. And if you haven't, then run." <laughs> Run, 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 and we'll find you a proper man that is worthy to take you into the celestial kingdom. So from the male perspective, seeing a letter like that and hearing somebody say that, it's like that's exactly what the male version of it is. They teach you to be uh, the stonewall uh, priesthood holder that is as holy and worthy of getting into the celestial kingdom as possibly can be, completely infallible. Um, no blemishes on your record whatsoever, married as a virgin, both male and female. Like, that's a huge part of it. So masturbation is just the the gateway sexual act, right? So that's when they really start to harp on it is when, you know, hormones start driving people to have an actual sex drive, and they start telling you, don't touch that. No, that's bad. <laughs> Slap your wrist. and. Right. But you, they know that you're going to. I mean, that that's what starts the the, the you know the indoctrination cycle, right? Is because you they know you're going to do it, so you're going to sin, so you're going to need forgiveness, yeah. and we're the only ones that can give it to you, and so we're going to give it to you. But you're going to sin again, and so it creates. So now we get caught in that cycle. The shit works though, right? It does. I mean, work, look how absolutely. many people are so oh, yeah. painfully sexually repressed from not just Mormonism, from so many other Christian oh, sects. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, it's yeah, exactly. Crazy. They all they all do the same kind of you know the same kind of thing, and sex is the is the key that that is the big one that they all use mm -hmm. okay now see i have a question now brought up by this does the mormon church do the whole forgiveness thing like uh like <laughs> the catholic <laughs> church does uh so my understanding or from years and years ago was that I can repent to God and earnestly in my heart repent for having an impure thought or whatever. And if I feel that God has forgiven me, then that's all good. Uh, that, yeah, absolutely. But that's there's, a, there's a lot more to it, though. Um, depending on the severity of your sin, you might have to go uh, talk to your bishop and basically have the Mormon version of a confession. And the this interview that you go to is very detailed it's very very creepy and uh pervacious did you go it, through this for the ironic priesthood yeah absolutely yeah i was gonna and say I is was it 12 so i mean come on <laughs> is it is it scientology creepy it's that i can't comment on that because i don't know enough <laughs> about scientology but i would think that it's probably very very similar it's, because it's they'll say like okay a, yeah. um like okay, so what what were your thoughts on it? Oh, or how long did it last? How many times last week was it coupled with <laughs> so, right. was so it pornography? Was it? I mean, they want the gory, nasty details of it, and then when it goes to like actual premarital sex, oh my god! And then it gets way way more intense. How yeah. long did it last? Uh, what what was the foreplay <laughs> the, the like before? Yeah. It, everything they want all of the so nasty they're, details. They're probably recording it all so they can um, type it up later and make a novel out of and it and to it because yeah. that's where they get the penthouse forums. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the, the thing is, though, you would think that if God really didn't want you doing this stuff, that he would have a way of shutting it down. 
free oh, will. Uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, no, 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 no. The, 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 uh, Boyd K. Packer, I recently did an episode on this. Yes. Boyd K. Packer, he actually told, um, told the boys to think about their favorite hymn whenever, <laughs> because the mind is a stage, and, and, and so that way, apparently. when you're in church, if they say that hymn, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, read that hymn to me. Come on. I am a child. Yeah, some of kind God. of right? Uh, right. direct association. What if our favorite hymn sounds something like Bow Chicka Wow Wow? <laughs> So just to give you guys some perspective on what a big deal it is to violate the law of chastity, um, Apostle Spencer W. Kimball in his book, Miracle of Forgiveness, quoted uh, Herbert J. Grant as saying, there is no true Latter-day Saint who would not rather bury a son or daughter than to have him or who, her lose her, his or her chastity, realizing that chastity is more valuable than anything else in all of the world. And you can violate the law of chastity, like we were saying, by impure thoughts, by masturbation, mm-hmm. by premarital sex is a huge big deal. Yeah, and the, that premarital sex, that'll often keep guys away from their missions. Well, and you that's can't have a temple wedding then either, right? Well, in most cases, you can repent to a point, and once you go through a, a long process of repentance, then you can go through a temple wedding. But, I mean, let's face it, when you're when you get engaged, the drive is there, you're going to be married soon, you're gonna be putting it in each other, right? You're like, you're gonna be doing stuff. So then the bishop, you go to the confession just so you can have the temple marriage that your parents and family members and friends are pushing you so Your much entire for. society since you were an infant has pushed you towards this temple wedding. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, it's completely culturally driven. Absolutely. So you do, you go to the bishop and go through this repentance process that'll take anywhere from six months to a year that you can't touch each other. In which everybody knows that you have sinned because either the wedding's postponed or or, or you can't take the sacrament. You don't have your tech, Yeah, yeah, you can't yep. take the sacrament. Oh, yeah, Temple recommend wow. is revoked. So there's so, yeah. a huge shaming process that goes along that with this. Perfect word. That's all it is. Is shame. It's a public shaming. It's slut shaming. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Slut shaming for the women, and I, I guess for man whore shaming as well too. Because I mean, it goes both ways, but it's much more shameful towards the women yeah, for losing their chastity yeah. as opposed to men who. You know, might have had the, a, the woman a corrupted night. you, the horrible, horrible woman, the harlot, she seduced yes. you, right? Yeah. But Poor I mean, thing. it's all part of that guilt cycle. Yeah. I mean, they really are setting. You, I mean, but here's the thing. I mean, when we talk about the guilt cycle, it can't just be sex, right? What else are they using for as part of this guilt cycle? There's a drive to be perfect. So you're supposed to be perfect in every single way, and all of the people around you present as perfect. So when I was growing up in a young women's class, we learned that if you were imperfect as a wife, because it was all about how to be a good wife, how to be a good mother to your children. That was all of the training. Um, No talk of sex or masturbation because girls don't do that. I mean, you have lots of babies, but there was hardly any discussion about that. Um, If you were an an imperfect wife and as you were raising all of your children, one day you you forgot to whatever, make the homemade bread that week or... (laughs) Can the, does this sound familiar to you at all? Bryce is having a flashback. Left the bathroom door open at the wrong time. No, it's all about like you make the bread from scratch, you can home can foods, and you're raising all these kids. Anyway, uh, if you didn't do the baking for the day and your husband's coming home from work and you're concerned about him feeling bad, in order to make him feel at home and like a good man, you put cinnamon 
behind your ear like you would perfume so that when he hugs you, honestly, I'm getting a look from Bryce. When he hugs you as he comes in the door, he scents the cinnamon, he feels at home, and it, he thinks maybe you've been baking that day. And then he... <laughs> that, that was my are she... you shitting me look. Right. I, I uh, no, actually, it's not because I'm surprised. It's because that it's that detailed that they would give you like this little tip to, you know, yeah. just make to make it so happy. your your husband doesn't, you know, have bad thoughts about you. Yeah. And it's... just to make it so that he, he still wants to pull you on to the other side of the well, veil I after you both open, die. I, uh, there's a better way to do this. Open the uh, when he opens the door, be naked <laughs> in front of your seven children. And <laughs> I mean, uh, there uh, oh. there's going to be some casualties here. You I can't think. be naked because <laughs> you've got the garments. Damage. You can't oh, take the garments off. Take, well, or can yeah. you? I don't. I never. Nah, well, I mean, that's, well, but, that's before, all, I, with <laughs> just the garments on. That's just one step away, and he knows what's going to happen. So <laughs> well, I, I think the 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 idea would still be conveyed. But okay, so that's that. I mean, that's so for for the females especially that they, they have really delved into that guilt cycle. But what about for men? Is it, do they have something similar for the men, or is it well, just this sexual drive? Well, no, you've got to be perfect. The man has to be perfect. well, exactly. Yeah, so, so what are they telling you? I, well, okay, it's it's the best way. The best phrase that I can sum it up with is like keeping up with the Joneses, right? You have to put on this perfect facade that you are the perfect family. Like you are uh, destined to become part of the bishopric and the leadership in the church just so you can move your way up the, the, the corporate ladder that is Mormonism, right? So that's one reason why Utah has one of the highest rates of debt of any any oh, okay. demographic is because people are always trying to get the bigger house or the newer car or the bigger right. boat or whatever just to show people that um, they're <laughs> well your favorite I'm holy enough right the the Lord loves me enough yes. that he's giving me um, uh, uh, the words escaping me God Everything. favors yeah. you yeah. Um, he's, yeah. yeah blessings yeah. exactly blessings. in material form and actually this uh, sorry okay. no, sorry go, just go, one go. quick story sorry, no. um, I did uh, one of my episodes is actually an interview with um, a husband and wife that recently came out of Mormonism and the guy was actually in Boyd K. Packer's ward in Draper, and he was telling me the story about how he got called to the bishopric. And he, for most of his time in the ward, he wasn't uh, that active. In, well, he wasn't that overly active. He went to church every Sunday, was still a good believing member, so on and so forth, didn't drink, didn't swear, didn't do anything like that. So he's a good Mormon. But then he uh, he's a very successful businessman. So one day when he had a layover in the airport, he went into one of the suit shops that they have in there. And he came out wearing $7,500 worth of Briani suit. And two weeks after he started going to church with this $7,500 suit on, he got called to the bishopric. <laughs> he says, I have no way of actually correlating it with actual hard evidence, but I think there might be might be more of a co more than a coincidence because before I was just white shirt and tie. Then I go in wearing this big suit and they want me to be in the leadership. Dress for success squared. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's like fake it till you make it. And right. like they, You have to fake it till you become it. The so, flip side is that people who are impoverished or people who have other issues going on, they still have to do it. Well, yeah. and they even if though they they can't possibly keep up with that kind of thing, mm -hmm. then everyone assumes that they are sinners because they're not right. favored. God's mm -hmm. not favoring them. They've exactly. fallen out of favor with God. That's why they're in poverty. Mm -hmm. This 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 sounds very like the whole thing she was saying about the uh, advice to a Mormon wife sounds very like 1950s women's magazine 
And your, your description of you have to be perfect, you have to be this stone wall, I'm sitting here thinking, so you're Ward Cleaver or, yeah. you know, or whatever. <laughs> well, isn't it, the, the men are the ones that actually get, get to heaven. They, they can decide if the rest of the family can follow, basically. Yeah, I wanted to ask right. about that. The so, only way the woman can get to heaven is essentially on the man's uh, Armani suit tails. <laughs> they perfectly said, yes, absolutely. So uh, uh, did, you didn't go through the temple rituals, did you? No, I didn't. I was too, I got out when I was too young. Okay, yeah, me too. But I, there is on YouTube under the username new name Noah. Uh, this guy has done a little bit in the ex-Mormon movement. Um, he actually, using a watch camera, like a smart watch camera, well, he videoed the entire ceremony. Oh, that's and a huge transgression. <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. That's the only I'm way sure. to say it. I, I watched it, and for the most part, it's really boring, but they're like, they just play this movie, and then they pause the movie, and the whole, everybody stands up, and they do certain rituals, and do handshakes, and so on and so forth. Then they all get in a group, and put up their hands, and say ritualistic words, and all. It's, it's really, really creepy, right? So, um, this... In watch, when I was watching this, I couldn't help but like become almost hysterical. That was the only way that I can describe it because it was so creepy, everything that was happening, and I realized that I almost did this. I almost believed in this. I almost let this consume my entire life and consume who I was as a person, as an individual. But watching it from the other side, I'm capable of looking at it with an objective eye and saying, wow, what? Why do people do this? This is at, this is just completely creepy. Because everyone around you is treating it like normal. This is what mm -hmm. you do. This is how you get to heaven. These are we're special, so we do these special things. And, exactly. Yeah. And then you hear tons of stories of people that the first time they go through, they thought it was they so creepy. Out. They break down, whatever, because all of their family members are all in these, um, you know, the the all in their whites with their head cap on, and the women have the veil over their faces, and they have their green aprons on, and they're all in these weird costumes, <laughs> and they're all saying ritualistic words and they're giving these weird handshakes where you have to like press on each other's palms and people people freak out because it's so weird and they see all their family members doing it but it's just okay because everybody else is doing it and i think it's less physically violating now than in it used to be historically, I think in the mid 1990s, they changed some of the rituals because they used to have to anoint oil on the genitals. Mm -hmm. And I think they don't do that as anymore. That's correct. I yeah, they, they got that rid of that. And I think in 93, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I obviously I don't know anything about that because I haven't talked to anybody that has uh, gone through that and has been able to. Describe well, they it can't talk about it. Yeah, They're not allowed to. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is um, that was also when the blood oaths were taken out where um, they would say, if you talk about it and they would. Yeah, you would do the motions of cutting from ear to ear With and then knife, cutting right? from, you know, side to side, you know, motioning right. your throat cut and disembowelment if you spread these words. Okay, so tell me this isn't a cult. I mean, jeez. Oh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually, I, once again, I'll just point back to my most recent episode, episode 22. Uh, Joseph gave a revelation to Oliver Cowdery that he can handle snakes and drink poison and he wouldn't be hurt by it. So it's it's one of those crazy Christian fringe cults that you hear about people handling snakes and doing weird shit and they get bit by a snake and they die. It's it's and they have these blood oath covenants and then these temples where they have to do these rituals. There's no way to distinguish this apart from any other cult. There's <laughs> I no have been distinction. bitten by a snake and did not and I did not die. Well, okay, it wasn't a snake, it was an iguana. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's I yeah, but no, snakes. but it says venomous snakes. Yeah. You will not be hurt by venomous oh, snakes. It doesn't oh, say die, but snakes. yeah, I mean, it says yeah. you won't get hurt. And I don't know anybody that's ever been bit by a venomous snake and hasn't suffered any repercussions from it. Uh, but I, I, yeah. I heard of one guy, actually, and he started off his day with a dose of arsenic every day. He, the snake, he the, he was bitten by a snake, and he didn't die what the snake did. That sounds like a wife's tale. <laughs> right? I want to see it. Come on. <laughs> Produce your facts. And, so, and, and, a, and it should be reproducible, too, right? <laughs> right, right. I have let's, a question, though. I do have a question. So is the town of Stepford, is that in Utah? <laughs> For the Stepford wives? Yep. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't yeah. know about yeah. that. Have the Mormons <laughs> looked into robot wives? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you're supposed uh, to be, all yep. pretty and pure. That's what it sounds well, like. Well, that's, that's why it, uh, the polygamy still exists in the church, because as soon as uh, you know, you're married to somebody, if the woman dies, you can go get married to somebody else and sealed to him. So in the church, you have the, the marriage ceremony where you're actually civilly married, and then you have the sealing ceremony beyond that, where all of your family members are sealed to you for, quote-unquote, time and all eternity. So you know, you I can, don't know anybody who's civilly married. Maybe for the first couple of weeks. But <laughs> so there's polygamy. There's an offshoot of the main. You were mainstream LDS, yeah. right? Yeah, there's the FLDS, right? And a bunch of other. There's a several others. Okay. Um, and they practice earthly existence polygamy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the mainstream LDS practices polygamy in the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so uh, the the idea is... I remember being young and asking my mom about this when this when this concept was first starting to piece itself together in my mind when I you know like six seven years old talking to her about this and I remember thinking but like aren't there just as many men as women that go to heaven so how does that work and then she's like well God will just figure it out when, that's when what I've heard when I've asked questions God will sort it out that pissed me off so much the, too one of the things you see in these you know these um, polygamous cultures, you know, like with the Warren Jeffs and stuff like that, is that they get the young men out, right? Yeah, they, they're they lost keep the kids, women yeah. And, and the yeah, young lost men, boys are exactly. Yeah. You've got you've got to, they've got to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Right. So so because because there's if you if you do a, that, there's not enough women for all of the men, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean because right. our birth rates are somewhere around fifty fifty or so, I mean roughly. So you have to get rid of them. I mean, we're going to have the opposite problem of China if we go that direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's that's actually really true. And there's a, a, a good Vice episode. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with Vice, the HBO uh, news reporting program. Mm-mm. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, everything they report on is fantastic. But one of their episodes, they did a segment on the Lost Boys, which is um, these Mormon boys in polygamous cults that get kicked out. And they just live on the outskirts of the towns in their own little trailer parks or, you know, whatever, their own little communes, just as teenage growing to adult boys that still believe in the church, still believe in everything that they were taught, but they don't have anywhere to go. They don't have any any vein into the real world outside of what yeah. they know. And so they children. just stay. Yes. They're little kids. Still. Yeah. And mentally I, I mean mentally they still are. They're they're teenagers and young adults, adult males, you know, they're you know, eighteen, twenty, twenty two, whatever. It's not like they're going but, to college or Yes, but exactly. Mentally they, they haven't gone to public school. They haven't had any access to anybody other than the people that are in this commune, they don't know the real world. They're they're just children that are forced into these weird living situations. And it's somehow this fucked. is moral. No, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I arguing. guess. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they have to. I mean, if if Christianity is supposed to be this moral moral good, and and if you know, and if, and if Mormonism follows in that tradition, somehow that's justified, right? Well, they're not real Mormons. 
Oh. They, because they're men? I would argue, they're FLDS. I would well, argue okay. to the end of the earth that they are way more Mormon than the Salt Lake Mormon. I would agree with that. Because they follow yeah. the original Warren doctrine Jeffs? of Pol- Yeah, Pol- Warren yeah. Jeffs, is, you know, he, he is arguably the most psychotic cult leader that we you know have known. He has... 90 something wives, tons of sister wives, and his youngest wife was 12 years old before he went into jail. Um, he still doesn't allow the blacks to have priesthood. Sure, of course. Not. Um, still holds to the Book of Mormon to the very utmost extent. He has the polygamist. He has all of these wives. That's in direct line with the Doctrine and Covenants in the Book of Mormon. And the Mormon church in Salt Lake is like, oh, he's a bad person. No, he's more Mormon than you guys are. That's what they would say, though. They're not real Mormons. We are here in Salt Lake. We're the real Mormons. No true Scotsman. That's what it is. No true Scotsman fallacy. You know, that's interesting because I I was going to, when we talk about the importance that Joseph Smith put on um, on polygamy, wasn't this like one of the things that he said was um, the most important doctrine given to him? Yeah, in the Revelation, uh, it's Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 132. It's like 70-something long verses. It's huge. And he it directly says that this is one of the uh, uh, everlasting covenants. So basically, all gods that have ever been a god of any planet, like, you know, Jesus is god of this planet, and Heavenly Father is god of all gods. Right. <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. yeah um, they have all been following the same tenet of polygamy. Everybody since the beginning of time through the infinite regress of all gods has been following. So there's more than one heavenly mother, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why they don't talk about it because people don't want to talk about the plurality of heavenly mothers. Hmm. I want to suggest we don't talk too badly about Mormonism here because we're all going to end up Mormons eventually. Right, because we're all going to get baptized later, right? <laughs> Touche. Yeah, you are. You're absolutely right. Uh, it it I, just I takes dying. This, I heard about this in college in my arca, in my anthropology class. Had a fantastic teacher. His license plate just said "think," but uh, he he made a point of telling us that we would all end up Mormons eventually because we would be posthumously baptized Mormons by the Mormon Church. That's true, and they've done a lot of those baptisms. I mean, I I personally have done a bunch of those. I went to the the temple and did baptisms for the dead all the time. Did you? No, no, I never was endowed. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, no, you don't even have to go through the oh, endowment ceremony. They when you're um, starting at age twelve, when you start going to mutual, they'll set out times, just weeknights that you go mm-hmm. up there. You, Head up, I don't go think maybe we were too rural. It. There was no temple nearby. I, mean, oh, I don't okay. remember every. Okay, that, this is Utah Mormonism, where we we were 15 minutes away from three temples. Right. So well, yeah. in the Salt Lake Valley, there there's a bunch of them. I, that's amazing. When you come around the point of the mountain, going from uh, Lehigh uh, to uh, South Salt Lake City, and you look over the Salt Lake Valley on a clear day, you can see five temple spires wow. sticking up out Angel of the Angel Moroni. Oh yeah, exactly. The Angel Moroni. <laughs> yeah, the bright gold. Golden Moroni. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. So you actually, so you had, you went through the veil for these people and did the whole shebang, huh? No, no, no. So that's a separate ceremony. Oh, that's a separate all, ceremony. All that I did was baptisms and confirmations for the dead. Okay. And was Which that because is, you were an ironic priesthood holder that you could well, do that? Yeah, it's or? because I wasn't of age to uh, be endowed. Okay. So once you receive your own endowments, then you can go through the tr- the temple by proxy and receive other people's endowments. Oh. But before that, if, as long as you're baptized and you're in uh, about it, age 12, that's when they start, you can go to the temple and just get baptized and confirmed for mm. people, which is a much simpler ceremony than the entire endowments. Now, if you baptize people so that they can be Mormons after they've died, when you become a god later, do you get those people? Or did hmm. I just make that up? I like 
<laughs> so it's I like that. No, I, that's a tough question. To me. We'll we'll know when we all die God and we're all Mormon and we ask Mormon God. Yeah. That's the only answer I can offer. Sorry, because they're not sealed to anybody necessarily. You're not sealing them in those baptisms. You're just mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know. I but I do remember being told quite a few times that every person that you uh, are baptized and confirmed for when you die and go into Mormon heaven, you're going to get a big hug from every one of them because they, they are so happy because they've been waiting for so long to get into Mormon heaven. Got to catch they, them all. <laughs> exactly. It's just, you know, bolstering their numbers, the, racking them up. Isn't there several layers of heaven, though, with Mormonism? There's three. It's not just one. Right. Okay. Well, there's three? there's three, and then so there's a telestial, terrestrial, and celestial. Oh, God. And, then and within, outer darkness. And outer darkness, Which yes. Is but we don't be... talk about that. We don't talk about Sorry. outer darkness. Okay, that's, that's Mormon hell. We don't talk about it. <laughs> but in the celestial kingdom, there's also three different degrees. Okay. Oh, and that's, that. that's, how they, that's where they were distinguishing before 1978 where the blacks and where single women would go when they died. Um, so, because <laughs> so, you're not sealed as a single woman. Yeah. To so to get yeah. to the highest, ultimate highest inside the celestial kingdom, you have to be sealed, have to go on your mission, gone through your endowments, and gone through everything like the token textbook Mormon. Right. Um, if you do anything below that, or that doesn't add up to everything that's supposed to be perfect, then you go into the, one of those two two lower kingdoms inside the celestial kingdom. And those were reserved initially for women who died that aren't married, that don't have anybody to pull them through the veil into the uppermost kingdom, and then blacks would be in the lowest. See, that. the Catholics only had purgatory. <laughs> it's a lot simpler, right? But Mormonism is more, you know, much more scientific, and you know, it's uh, they they have a lot more answers to questions of purgatory and you know, unbaptized children and all that. What's it called? The plan for salvation is that the Mormon the plan, plan for salvation. plan of salvation? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, side note: you were talking about uh, we were talking about we were talking about Catholicism earlier, and. The fact that Christians think that Catholics aren't Christians or somebody you were talking to, a lot of the power of the Catholic Church was lost because of two men. That was Martin Luther and Henry VIII. Henry VIII. Was Henry VIII it? wanted a divorce because his wife oh, was yeah, a so how the Episcopalian yeah. Church came about. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Is it Episcopalian or Anglican? Or are they the same thing? I thought it was Anglican. I thought it was just Church of England. But oh, see, we're all I thought the Church of England was the Anglican Church. It's too bad we don't have Google. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> uh, this is yeah. make things but, a lot yep, easier. Henry VIII wanted a divorce, and that lost him. That lost the Catholic Church, England. Hmm, no kidding. And then the first one, of course, Martin Luther, the first person to print it in yep. form yeah, for the masses to read. And nailed his presses. protest to the te- to the church door right. and yeah. created Lutheranism. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's there's something to be said about that. Um with with Mormonism, it's it's much like Scientology in that way, where you don't learn about these much higher things that you like that we're talking about that you guys are asking me about. You don't learn about those until you're you've been in the church for a while. Mm-hmm. They they say milk before meat. That's one of their favorite things. It it also sounds a lot like stuff I've heard about being a Mason too. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> to say. Uh, there's a disturbing amount of connections there too. Um, so. In 1826, I want to say, there was a man, um, his name escapes me at the moment, but he published a book on Masonic rituals. And this was at a time that the Freemasons were really a big presence in the, the whole new world that was being newly colonized and settled. Well, the Masons kidnapped this guy and he disappeared forever. 
Uh, I'm sure pieces of him will surface eventually. Maybe, you know, dental records or whatnot. I, I'm sure he's still considered a cornerstone in the Masonic organization. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. Uh, but one, actually, his wife became one of Joseph Smith's polygamist wives. And then um, another connection is um, Joseph and his brother, older brother Hiram were well-known master masons. And, uh, and three weeks after they went through, after Joseph went through and got his master mason status, the temple ritual that we've been talking about, the endowment ceremony, came out and came into print. And that's when they started practicing it. So there's a, an insane amount of connections, including there, Masonic symbols that are on the current the Salt Lake Temple. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to Everywhere, ask. yeah, exactly. And on the garments, the garments right? Too, yeah. yeah, on the, 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 the More knees and on the nipples. Masonism for the masses. <laughs> You know, I, I, a lot of this we can get from your podcast. Right. I, I guess uh, what I want to know is why delve so deep into this? I mean, because you've gone more be, way beyond what, what the average person does that even rejects Mormonism. I mean, you have really started going, I mean, you, you go through everything that the church puts out. You do, and then you go beyond that. What else can you find? And you're comparing all this stuff. Oh, why, why take all that time? Why do this? Um, the best way that I can answer that is I was listening to a lot of podcasts just as I was transitioning out of apathetic into actual atheist. Mm -hmm. I, I was listening to a lot of podcasts that would talk about Mormonism and they would say things and they would they'd get little details here and there wrong. Or they would talk about the history and I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. And then I'd go dive deeper into it and realize that something was inaccurate or they, they didn't tell the entire story. So I started doing the research and piecing things together in a timeline that I could actually comprehend with my own mind. And it got to a point that I'm like, I, I want to take the error out of it. And I want to add in as many facts and as many quotations from people that were actually there as humanly possible. And then if I want to add my own speculations on top of that, I can do that. And I'll separate that away from the history, the historical analysis itself. And that's something that I do every episode. I say, um, so this is what this person said and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so why is that important? Or, okay, so this is just my speculation, but I think that this is what happened. Because um, I don't want people to muddle um, what my comprehension of the church is with what the actual facts are. Because there is a disconnection there. We all have our own biases about, about everything, right? Yeah. So I try and separate those as much as possible. And I try and make the show as much about the history itself as possible and the Mormon experience. I don't, I don't want the show to be about me at all. Because there, there's a lot of podcasts that I listen to. They're a lot of fun. And there's a lot of fun banter between the co-hosts and stuff. I mean, like you guys. Like, like this one. You guys, <laughs> you banter, you talk, you have fun, you talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, and then you, you're you guys can skirt along a lot of different topics quickly and introduce the introduce listeners to a lot of different things and they can think about them a lot right. and they they enjoy listening to the people and the dynamic well i wanted to create this monologue that's completely separate from me as the person um and make it so it's just about the church itself and my speculations on what what actually happened or what possibly happened right no and i think it's great i mean because the, nowhere have i mean everybody who talks about mormonism they, they, no one have I ever heard them talk, start at the beginning and work their way through it. I mean, David Michael, you know, read the book to us all, which was mm -hmm. fantastic and gave his, and gave his impressions as reading it. But that is really such a small piece of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. I was surprised how, how small a piece of Mormonism that was until I started listening to your and, podcast. And that's David Michael's podcast is something that actually helped motivate me to start it. And actually I, I, 
recorded five episodes and sent them off to him, demoed them, and see what he thought. And he gave me back a lot of really good feedback, and that's how the show morphed into what it is today. Okay. So he he was actually a very uh, integral piece of starting up this show. But listening to it from his perspective, because he's completely ignorant about Mormonism, and that's he like said, one of his yeah. tacks, is he, he says, I don't know anything about this. And then when he, he, he sees something that's crazy in the Book of Mormon, he's like, what the hell is that? Yeah, exactly. Submarines. Like, like the Jaredites coming across in submarines. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. like, what the hell is this? Yeah, I mean, same thing. So is the Book of Mormon just like a gateway drug? <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, after I, listening... But I will tell you honestly, the, the, the papers uh-huh. in the Book of Mormon, they don't make good joint papers. They taste really bad. <laughs> so I don't think it's oh, a good wow. gateway drug. Just We are say. in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. But okay. you um, think that... One, real quick, um, speaking of banter, uh, I think it's time for Ian to reboot his router. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. No, I after listening, I mean, listening to that book, listening to him read that, most of that book doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It's so disjointed, and and it's like you can't. I, I don't know how you would learn about Mormonism from that book. I, I I don't know how you do it. Well, it sounds like you don't. It sounds like there's so much of Mormonism that's not in the book. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a it's a gateway drug. It's it's maybe something you give somebody the Book of Mormon to maybe catch their interest, and maybe they will become a Mormon, and then suddenly there's a whole world that they never even imagined based upon the Book of Mormon. Right, mm-hmm. but that's the yeah. important of Bryce's podcast, and that, and that's what I want. That's the point I want to make here is that if we don't, if you don't have those pieces of history, and there's some books that are out there that are that are pretty good. I can, I, I mean, I've read, I read, I've read some books, but even those books do not cover this in the detail. I mean, you are you are taking so much time you know, going in, in, in clarifying each piece of this as we go along this journey with you. Yeah. And that's, I, I started it in November of last year. So I'm approaching the one year mark. And as in the timeline, the Book of Mormon was just barely published. They had their first congregation in April of 1830. And this last episode got us up to uh, October of 1830. So, yeah, I mean, I try and take, like, as it is right now with how much that's going on in this very formative time, um, each episode is only covering a one- or two-month period in the entire huge 185-year history that we need to cover. Right. So, and that's actually, with David Michael, that's something that surprised me so much is hearing um, his take on the Book of Mormon and what was so, you know, hearing his layman's perspective of what some of the doctrine is, because you can tease some of Mormon doctrine out of the Book of Mormon, but there's not much in there. It's a lot of it is just preaching about Jesus and repentance, and then that's pretty much it. And then some some war history, you know, war stories between two rivaling factions of Native Americans. But in order to get into the actual doctrine of the church, you have to incorporate the the Pearl of Great Price, which he just finished reading, right. and the Doctrine and Covenants. And that's the big one is the Doctrine and Covenants, because that is a point-by-point revelation, like bullet points given by Joseph or Oliver or, or Gaudry or whoever of how to run the church. Like an issue will come up. Joseph will come up with a revelation. He will receive a revelation. He will receive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah, right, my exactly. mistake. In a trance-like state, you know, arms up to God. Yeah, yeah. he'll receive this revelation to fix the problem. Like my daughter, Emma, I say unto you, let Joseph have multiple wives or you will burn and, in hell. And cleave only to your husband. Yes, you may so not you have multiple have husbands. Any, but he can. Uh, yeah, no, that's exactly it. He gave these revelations to... Uh, to um, 
fix any problems that come up in the church. So David Michael and I are actually very soon going to team up and read the Doctrine and Covenants together as as yeah, the no, next that's, that's segment. Be awesome. yeah, it's going to be podcast. great. Yeah. When and, he had these revelations and he went into these translate states, did he make a sound like um before he came up with the revelation? <laughs> I think he actually rubbed his temple too. Yes. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like it. Yes. But yeah, so the Doctrine and Covenants is chock full of really like spur of the moment uh, stuff that mm-hmm. Joseph said that um, he didn't really think about the long-term ramifications of like the last uh, episode 22 of my show. I cover um, the book of Mormon is extremely anti priestcraft, which priestcraft is basically the church supporting the priesthood, the priests okay. monetarily. The book of Mormon is extremely anti priestcraft, but when the church was organized and Joseph had just gone through his two uh, court trials in 1830, he was down in the dumps and he had no money. So he came up with a revelation saying, um, oh yeah, by the way, the church can support you monetarily and in temporal labors, you will have no strength. <laughs> I thought priestcraft was that MMO where you go around healing other players. <laughs> Different thing. Uh, this is the Mormon priestcraft, <laughs> not the MMO priestcraft. Okay. Close though. Very close. It's easy to, to mistake them. But yeah, so, um, and the, the little detail that we're going to add into this show is he's going to read the current publication of the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, which there was the most recent revision was done in 2013, and that's a ver- version that he's going to be reading from. And I am going to read everything from the 1833 Book of Commandments, which is what the Doctrine and Covenants was synthesized from. And we're going to try and compare differences. And, Holy uh, mackerel. It's going to be crazy. You're never going to get through this. <laughs> That's awesome. There's, yeah, I mean, there's like 136 sections, I think, of the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. You could have done the same thing with the Book of Mormon, too. I tried. I That was actually how I initially debuted the show. Um, I, I have a book that um, has an original photocopy of an original 1830 Book of Mormon. And... Um, Utah Lighthouse Ministries, which is an amazing scholarly foundation of of anti-Mormon stuff, basically. They went through it and compared it to a 1978 Book of Mormon, and they marked out all of the differences that were non-clerical. So no periods, no commas. They didn't care about that. Just word changes, just spelling changes, grammar. They they right. they marked out those. And between those two versions, there's almost 4,000 differences. Hold on. Wow. And there's been a number of changes from the 1978 Book of Mormon that they looked at to the current Book of Mormon that people get, you know, the little blue-bound copy. So... Initially, I started out the show, um, I was reading a segment of the, like a chapter or two of the book, uh, of the Book of Mormon, the original 1830, and then I would just stop and then tell each difference that came up in each verse that I would read, I would read, and it was boring as hell. Yeah. I, I mean, imagine. it was just so damn well, boring. Well, and quite frankly, the, the, I mean, the book itself is boring as hell. If it wasn't for David Michael's voice, oh, right? right? No kidding. No yeah. one would have gotten through that book. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's audible chocolate. It just feels <laughs> it like really, butter exactly. dripping into your exactly ears. Right. It's just exactly. beautiful. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And then, so I tried doing that. And then the last section of the show was just uh, like 15, 20 minutes on a little bit of, little, little, little tidbit of the history of the church. Just thought that that might be interesting to include. And then he, he eventually said, just stop reading it and just tell it about the history. Yeah. Those were the funnest parts to listen to. That's it, what engaged me the most. I'm it's, like, okay, cool. It's far more interesting than the Book of Mormon. I mean, the, the book itself is 
it's almost a why bother, right? It, unless, yeah. unless I mean, you, it, it's almost unimportant compared to what you, the history. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what, I've focused very little on the Book of Mormon itself. I mean, twenty-two episodes of anywhere from an hour to two hours long of analysis. I've barely touched on the Book of Mormon itself and the problems that are in it. I've just been talking about the history and about right. Joseph Smith and about the people that were surrounding him and his family because there's so much more there. There's a human element there that you can actually tap into. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. I, I think HBO is going to come to you for the for the <laughs> to do the show. <laughs> I've been thinking about that a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of emails to send. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Revising religious books is not new, though. I mean, the Bible was revised so many times and quote-unquote retranslated. Yeah, I did finger quotes there, too. Retranslated to mean different things that would serve different rulers. Absolutely, and instance, interpolated the, on and mm -hmm. added to and taken away from it. The King James Bible is the first one where they start prosecuting witchcraft, I believe. it's But prior to that, it was a poisoner rather than a witch. No kidding. Interesting. Well, the Pearl of Price is basically rewrite a Genesis. I mean, in, yeah. in the, the first it, books of the Bible. And that's the thing is, uh, it's all from God's perspective. Oh, it's I see, written from I, I and me, and oh. I did this, and I gave this revelation to Moses, and I and me, everything. So, okay. Which is internally consistent with uh, Joseph's perspective being the mouthpiece of God, right. right? I mean, I'm sure you heard them say that a lot about that. Is It's Joseph, the prophet of God is the mouthpiece right. of God. And anything that he says goes, basically. Because it's directly from God. Yeah. Um, is the DNC the living gospel, though? Like, that changes, that gets revised and changed because... Well, the problem... Okay, the thing is, with the Doctrine and Covenants, is it's extant, and we still have original 1833 copies of the Book of Commandments and original 1835 versions of the Doctrine and Covenants. So we can compare the differences. We can see where they've changed the doctrine. And there have been massive doctrine shifts from the... 1835 version to what we have now. So it's not just new revelations getting added on at the end. It's changes to the original. Terry? Exactly. Is DNC, is that the Doctrine of Covenants? <laughs> That's, yeah. Okay, because you heard you said that, and I heard Democratic National Convention. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, there's an abortion procedure referred to as the DNC. <laughs> what I meant was the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and actually, something I read recently, uh, this was just on this last episode. That's why I'm able to bring this up so quickly now is because it's the most fresh on my mind. I just released it two, two days ago. Um Oliver Cowdery, when Joseph released this priestcrafting revelation that the church can actually support the the prophet and financially the support, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Oliver Cowdery wrote to Joseph Smith and said, "Hey, this is wrong, and I command you, in the name of God, <laughs> to change the commandment to comport with what the Book of Mormon says." <laughs> Oliver Cowdery gave a commandment from God to Joseph, to Joseph Smith, Smith to be more godlike or to be or to be more of like a prophet okay. and then Joseph fired back with <laughs> some some nasty stuff uh, he wow. he went up to um to uh, uh Fayette he was in harmony at the times at the time and then he went to Fayette and Oliver Cowdery had turned the entire Whitmer family against Joseph Smith based off of this one revelation that wow. I messed up on and Joseph said that uh, basically I like I am the prophet of God um let me think what how did he say it um it, he said, said it extremely scathing towards Oliver like oh yeah um what power do you have to command me the prophet to change a revelation to alter or to add or take away from the uh 
revelation from God Almighty. That was almost verbatim of what he said. And then you look at the differences between the original Book of Mormon and the current and the original Doctrine and Covenants and the current, and you see how many changes have been made and how offended Joe was that Oliver Cowdery was offended at this little tiny change. You think of how pissed off Joe would be today if he saw the differences because it's such a mess. There's, it, uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's... So that <laughs> that rebuttal would be something along the lines of uh, translated today, dude, don't harsh my buzz. Yeah, or yeah, don't, exactly right. Yeah, or, or stop taking my women. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Stop taking my women. I, I guess there's a few more questions that Terry had in here that I think yeah, are good. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to talk about. So, um, not to put you on the spot, and feel free not to discuss this. But one of the things we talked about pre-show was uh, I asked if you swear fluently yet, because uh-huh. Mormons coming out of the church, there's a lot of integration into regular society. Like I can a practice here, you can hear someone who's kind of a newly fledged non-Mormon if they try to swear because well, it's fucking awkward. A, right? exactly. Yeah, what's the difference? What the, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, see, on this podcast, be like... I, I've been giving a hard time because I jokingly said um, the JJ. Oh, oh yeah, no. <laughs> so, that is the worst term for <laughs> No, no, it's not. <laughs> That's if not you a... listen to Waiting for Wrath, they call Vagoo-goo the oh. worst <laughs> So it's like uh, it's the misplaced swear words kind of, or it's out of order, or it's like a pause too long. It's hard to describe. It'd be like, mm-hmm. um, not what the fuck are you talking about? It'd be like, what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> oh, right. So it's like, oh, so so it's, it's almost there's almost like a um, a dopamine response when you An get to say the word, right? Like, oh my god, I can't believe I said this word. Oh my, oh my heck, I just said it. <laughs> oh my he double hockey sticks <laughs> yes <laughs> wow yeah so one other bit of awkwardness in integrating into society came up with your boy k packer episode where it was a special app where you rightly in my opinion chastised boy k packer for being so anti-masturbation and he came up with the nonsense about little factories don't trigger <laughs> the your testes are these little factories that produce semen he never said testes way too strong of a word <laughs> Men have little factories that <laughs> yeah. produce a substance that when the yeah. valve is released, <laughs> do not tamper with uh, the valve yep. or it will overproduce. Wait, is this really the language? Yeah. Yeah. This is, I linked to the this, original piece. It's, that is way worse than just saying testicles. Oh. <laughs> nobody knows I mean, what the nobody knows nobody, what the fuck he's talking exactly. about. <laughs> exactly. No one knows what the heck I mean what the fuck he was talking about. Yes, no, that, you're exactly boy, right. that's very good. That's very good, you two. Right. Yeah. You know, you're doing very well. It looks like you're really overcoming it. <laughs> uh, it's a struggle every day. So No, that's that's yeah, it, that's a very pertinent question because every Mormon that transitions into the real world. I call it, it has to go through this change where they have to strip away the dogma and all of the shit that they've had to deal with before because it, it's morphed their their mind so much. You from paused what, before you said shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> too, long, too long of a pause? Okay. I'll, here, here pull out my notepad yeah, here. There we go. Right, I'll tuck that away for later. Thank you. From a, from a seasoned swearer, I see. Uh, He's practically a seaman. Fucking A, man. <laughs> Uh, uh, see, a, Mormon, a true Mormon would not have gotten that pun. Yeah. <laughs> Bryce are, was laughing, so he's far enough. You are blushing, my friend. Uh, <laughs> you are blushing. Uh, yeah. 
Well, I can't hide it. I can't hide my history. What can I say? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but no, there, there's uh, this, and it's not just with like swearing or with like sexuality. It's just in like everyday mannerisms as well and um, everyday word usage. And like, like you said with uh, the episode that I released about Boyd K. Packer, um, I actually had a few people that sent me emails and made me aware that I used some very, very angry uh slurs that are usually reserved for very you know very homophobic slurs and i you know took a step back and i was like oh shit i didn't really think about that yeah i you're absolutely right but when i when i like took it when i really considered it and criticized myself on it i figured you know the best way to offend somebody that has uh, unreasonable bigotry against somebody is by calling them some kind of caricature of whatever that bigotry is. Mm. So calling Boyd K. Packer like a fudge-packing cocksucker felt so right <laughs> because he hates the gays so much and he would be so offended at somebody calling him that. And I personally would have no problem saying that right to his face. What's wrong with fudge-packers, though? That's the argument from the other that's, side. Like, well, that's exactly right. It's like, oh, well, yeah, and, you're, you're yeah. saying that, that you know, that's a problem. With it. That's a, yeah, an inaccurate lifestyle or, or whatever. Yeah. That's not what I meant. I was calling him a derogatory term because he's an asshole. <laughs> Simple as that. Right, he, but, he's a horrible person. He has these unreasonable big... Uh, has this unreasonable bigotry and he never had anybody snap him out of it. He never had anybody shake him and say, hey, dude, you're being an asshole. Like, right. actually think that these people are real people with real problems. There's not something wrong with them. They're just different than you. And that's, I mean, he was an apostle for a long time when the blacks couldn't get the priesthood. Right. He's yeah. a racist as well. He's he's a very horrible, he's a horrible, horrible human person. Being. He was. Yeah, absolutely. Thank God he's gone. Right. I mean, except <laughs> for the phrase. But I mean, right. yeah, I'm glad that he's gone. And like I said last episode, I'm glad that Mormon Lucifer drug him back home <laughs> because he needed to not be plaguing Mormons' minds with these pathetic ideas of little factories and um like abused women should stay with their abuser and that because was, it's that, their fault they're yeah, not yeah, wifely yeah, yeah. enough yeah exactly to, that yeah. was one of the big focuses in one of it, one of his talks and it's like yeah. if you were more you. pure if you were more whatever a better wife you would mm -hmm. not be yeah yeah and then yeah. he also told a story about when he went into a mission field a missionary came to him and said um you know I, I have to be forgiven or I need to repent of something. And Boyd K. Packer had to ask this this elder what you know what was wrong, what happened, what's going on. And the elder finally blurted out, Well, I hit my companion and his missionary companion. Yeah, his missionary companion, which when you're in the mission field you spend twenty four seven with your companion, you're never separated. Except to go to the bathroom. Sometimes. Oh, see, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> no, sort of always, just, always. Uh, is just, this MormonBoys.com? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I made you blush again. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, though. But uh, they they issue you uh, matching white shirts, backpacks, and bicycles, right? No, you have to buy it yourself. Um, yeah, they don't. They issue don't, they don't pay it for anything. They don't pay for your airfare or nothing. The that super sucks. wealthy church. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the church that pulls in seven billion dollars a year just from tithing alone. They can't afford. You know. Right, but part of that—that's part of that shaming process too. If you don't, if you're not up on your tithing, man, they—they'll let you know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Before we move on to that, let me no, just we don't have to. Point, we, don't, but, we don't even yeah, have to move uh, on. We, to that. we can. We, yeah. we can bounce all no. over here. But yeah, but anyway, so this missionary came to Boyd K. Packer and said, you know, I hit my companion, and Packer had to ask him, you know, what's going on? Why? Why'd you do it? And then basically, it came out that the missionary. Uh, companion that had been hit made a move on the guy that was talking to Packer. a homosexual oh, advance. No. Yeah, and then 
Packer came back with, well, I'm glad you did it because it wouldn't be very uh, comely for an apostle to do that to a missionary. Oh, my God. So he's, he's condoning missionaries to hit their gay missionary companions. And what, what, what does he mean by hit on anyway? What was, what was, what, I mean, he probably didn't come up and, I mean, what, what does that we, mean? What nobody, it, knows. What, nobody knows. Nobody oh, knows. It was just alluded to that a, a homosexual move had been made on this guy. So the missionary hit his companion. And Boyd K. Packer was like, justifiably so, because. Yeah, because I couldn't have done it. I I'm glad you yeah, did it. I'm glad you did it for me. I, I, I'm trying dick, to imagine right? what, I mean, for somebody to hit on me. And for me to be that upset about it, I mean, what 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 do they have to do? If, if a guy hits on me, I'm flattered as hell. I'm like, I, you think you think sure, I, I'm yeah. good enough to like? You think I'm good looking enough to be gay? Like, <laughs> I, I, like I have this idealized version of a gay person that's like you know, super toned body, you know, nice hair, nice everything, <laughs> super. You know, you, you just have that idealized version. It's like you think that's what I am? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm extremely flattered. I'm not interested, but thank you. Yeah, I don't want to hit him. As a true believing Mormon, you might have been like, oh my gosh. I'm petrified. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, It's just something so antithetical to what's the natural order of things. And it was like you were contaminated by the... Somebody yeah. uh, posted mm-hmm. on Facebook that homophobia is the belief that gay men want to treat you the way you treat all women. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I... I think yeah, the yeah. I think there is a certain idea behind that. It's a very like, uh, like a reptilian perspective of it. It's like, oh yeah. well, they're gay. They, you know, they want to do to me what I want to do to every woman that I see. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, how else does it impact you still? Or how long are you out? What did I hear you say? Four years out? Uh, I, I left when I was you know sixteen, seventeen. So, so I'm I'm eight years out right now. Okay, nice. Um, but you know, just studying and really learning about the history has only been what past two years or so, three years. Do you still feel like um, your upbringing impacts you negatively, or you eight years is a lot of time to integrate into regular society? You yeah. pass, you pass as non-Mormon. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because of the facial hair, right? Yeah, it's the yeah. facial hair. And, and you're using the good non-Mormon language today, so we're yeah, proud you can of you. swear. Thank you. Thank you. It feels good to be accepted by by, by the the outsiders. Well. <laughs> Bryce, I'm, I, I have higher standards. I'm going to need all seven from you. All seven? All yeah, seven. there's seven dirty words. Uh, seven oh. words you can't say on television. Cocksucker, motherfucker. I was shit, uh, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. There you go. Can we okay. say vagina, though? Well, that's not one of the seven dirty words, but I don't know if it you know if that gets past the censors. I guess it depends on the... Uh, well, I, am amused, so. Brian, <laughs> so. I am amused that you can now say dick on television, mm. as in referring to somebody as a dick. Wow, that's yeah. amazing! I yeah. love that. <laughs> hmm. Wow, um, or using the, the term "dick move." That's a dick move, bro. Yeah. Now that the sorry, go ahead. Um, our standards are low enough. You shouldn't feel like it's really that big. Of yeah, I, I don't think of you. Yeah, be accepted by us might not be. That might not be a feather in your cap. Uh, let's just. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but no, the first time that I remember being like surprised at swearing was a, the South Park episode, the shit episode of South Park, <laughs> right? And thinking, wow, they put this on television? Yeah. We can say shit on television. <laughs> Holy shit, we can say shit. Yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I, I remember like being so amazed. I was like, oh, wow. Everybody swears. Everybody, Everybody yeah. in the world swears. Yeah. Mormons are the weird ones. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and and that, that actually really came... Like, I really saw that happen when I uh, started working at a warehouse job and there were, you know, 
people that aren't Mormon working there and hearing how they interact with each other and like you know calling each other motherfucker every day all day or whatever or <laughs> anything and just being offensive towards each other. I had never seen anybody jovially being offensive towards their friend or being you know calling their friend a cocksucker because it's funny and it makes them both laugh. I had just always thought that those were just that's the one. That's one I have they a problem seem with. Seem like they should be angry right? words. Yeah. Well, the thing I, the problem with cocksucker that I have is why is that derogatory? I mean, I, mean, I think so, it's probably a good thing because I, you know, personally, I like cocksucker. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it should be a compliment. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and then my my comeback. In fact, I want to know is... how good a cocksucker they are. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and see, now I've gone to a point. Whenever somebody calls me a cocksucker, I'm like, okay, you know what? You can build a thousand bridges in your lifetime and never be called a bridge builder, but you suck one cock. <laughs> and how do you even know you were good at it, right? right? You're calling me a cock. I don't know if I'm a good cocksucker. <laughs> you would hope so anyway. Well, well, Brian I mean, referred to me in a text earlier today as, uh, that I had an ugly ass, and I still don't know how my ass was. <laughs> I did say that. Uh, I hear it's all about more tongue, less teeth. Well, that's got to be true, right? But uh, there's probably a certain amount of teeth that's good. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't. Obviously, I don't know. Oh, we're all looking. <laughs> offer your perspective. <laughs> uh, I've never had my cock sucked, so. Uh, that, well, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so, um, if if. Are you going to ask him about the Book of Mormon, the musical? Because I want to ask him about another piece. Of yeah, that's coming up. So uh, what I was... <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. If we can get past dick sucking, we can get on to the rest of this, right? right? Who wants to get past dick sucking? <laughs> well, exactly, right? <laughs> the longer, the better, I say. So I wanted to touch briefly on... Um, I noticed a lot more and more, including your podcast, um, of thoughtful criticism uh, from people who have a history with the church or who are from within the church of like progressive Mormons and Mormon podcasts like Mormon stories or blogs like feminist Mormon housewives. Um, do you think this gentle prodding from within or from former Mormons is having any impact on the church? I mean, is that why they're releasing the essays and why they released the picture this year? So, well, um, so from how I see it, I think the church is kind of dancing on a knife edge right now. So they have, the historical facts that they can't uh, that they can't argue with, like the stone, the pictures of the stone that they recently released, along with the right. the original printer's manuscript of the book, um, and Joseph Smith using the stone to come up with revelation. And there's uh, the the trials that Joseph Smith went through that he was convicted as a glass looker. There's a lot of things that the church that's coming to light that people are talking about that the church has to acknowledge that so, i never heard of growing up more exactly exactly uh, glass looker glass looker yeah um uh scrying basically okay. yeah um that's or divining rod somebody that uses magic gotcha. isn't, okay. isn't fair the mormons apologetic group? yeah, yeah fair. Uh, so, uh, uh foundation for apologetics and something research yeah, yeah I, I listened to their podcast for a while before i just couldn't take it anymore mm -hmm. <laughs> but oh, yeah. they must be covering a lot of this stuff so that what do that, they have yeah, a take on I, this i actually get a lot of my uh source material is from fair and from lds.org yeah because i want to see their perspective of how they how they look at the the 
piece of history that's challenging to the, the veracity of the church, right? So I look at what the apologists say about it, and then I go and try and find what anti-Mormons say about it, and then I try and find somewhere hidden in between there the facts and the, the quotes from the actual people, and then I put my own speculation on it. And oftentimes I agree with the church. There will be, well, not oftentimes, but occasionally there will be something that comes up that the church does a good job of addressing. And I say, this is good, this is, I agree with them, and then they'll get to a certain point that I divert, that I, I don't agree with what they're saying. Okay. And then that's when I start adding in um, other perspectives from, from other uh, websites that aren't driven or run by the LDS church. So the church, with like releasing all these essays and stuff, they're kind of like dancing this fine line. So those things they have to embrace, they have to address, they have to uh, take care of, hopefully as um, under the wraps as possible, because they don't want their believing members to know about this stuff, because that raises questions that they don't want to answer. Pre-internet, and, we didn't talk about this stuff. Exactly. Right, exactly. but I guess if and this you, stuff is being put on the internet, they've got it. I mean, how are they keeping it from the... That's the thing, is they... they it's so well under wraps and so unacknowledged that the people don't know that it even exists in order to go look for it. Like the the history or the, the story that came out of the church releasing these photographs of the stone, of Joseph Seer stone, that's the first that most Mormons ever heard of the whole thing is the church you know, acknowledging that because it is you're not supposed to go anything like that challenges your belief is anti-Mormon or it's yeah. of the devil. You don't read that other these other sources. Exactly, anything that isn't a Mormon source doesn't have the the right spin on it. And right. Boyd K. Packer, in one of his talks, uh, dealt with this very very well. He said he basically vilified intellectuals that are saying that. Um, there's problems with the Mormon history, and he's saying you have to have the belief in the church and then look at the history. Right, you have to look through, through, the, through their filter. Although yes. that's right. a very right. exactly. thing religion. I've been told by so many people the reason that I don't believe in the Bible is because I don't have the proper faith in it if I went to mm -hmm. church and had to preach. You know, the priest tell me exactly how I'm supposed to interpret the Bible. Then I'll get it. Right. But so exactly. if you're properly indoctrinated. Yes. yes. Yeah, but by reading it on my own, by trying to figure it out on my own, I don't get it right because I don't have the right mindset. Right. And it always you also don't get the winning lottery numbers because you read it on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it that, I mean, it, whenever I hear that, it always occurs to me, it's like, if I can't read this outright without a filter, right? How can it be true? How can anybody yeah. read this well, and they it's create the It's a threat. And it's ungodly. And with the the essays that they've been releasing, is they've been doing a great job of inserting that filter at just the right spot. So when you read like the Mormon articles of the stone that they talk about, they don't make a connection between that stone and Joseph translating the Book of Mormon. They just say, "Hey, here's this really cool stone that Joseph Smith used to hunt for treasure." when he was younger, and then he stopped using it, and then got called of God to translate the, the plates. I, I'm they shocked. don't talk about the connection. That, that's mm. ridiculous. Because uh, It's shocking. Well, not ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous, because as a, as a non-Mormon, when I start looking for Mormon stuff, that's like the first thing I come across is, is, the, is you know, the scrying and the seer stone. And, and, but most Mormons, you, you don't understand. Like, you, you right, come to this. No, no, no. I'm saying this. Like, most, most non-Mormons don't understand the Mormon perspective of it, because in the Mormon church, you don't study the church. You just go to church and you do your calling. You receive the information from yeah, the church. Yeah, exactly. And they, they don't talk about the history. They talk about good feelings and wonderful talks. And, you know, they, they just pass down like through the enzyme. The enzyme is like their, their magazine publication that comes out every month. It just it's chock full of talks of Mormon leaders talking about how wonderful the church is. That's yeah, all it is. I mean, Scientology is the same way. A lot of almost religions are. It's just it, it's baffling to me. 
this i i mean it, you really do have to have cognitive dissonance to to make, to keep in there and because if you look if you just look just outside of the line just a little bit mm, man it's that's, it, it's a rabbit hole and that's where this this knife edge comes in because they're they're trying to embrace these historical facts that can't be debated and then when they have people that are believing members that start raising up too much of a stink about these things mm-hmm. They excommunicate. I was just they get rid say, of them. John Dolin, um, right. Kate Kelly is yep. part the of ordain the women. ordained women. Yep. Yes, there's there's these movements that are started of people trying to make the church tell its members honestly about these things. People who because desire the essays aren't enough. People who I think genuinely love the church and want to continue to be members of the church and whatever are bringing up these issues mm-hmm. in a in a thoughtful way. And they're just getting cut off from exactly. the world you that they grew don't up don't go against the yay us protocol. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Any Anybody that's actually dissenting or anybody that's saying, like, okay, if you look at John DeLynn, the head of the Mormon Stories podcast, um, <laughs> when, when you talk about him and you talk about his story, he's been running this podcast for 10 years, 500-something episodes, a, an amazing plethora of knowledge from a Mormon perspective. And he's questioning. So finally, it got to a point that he questioned hard enough and raised enough of a stink that the church had decided to bring him in, hold a tribunal for him, and excommunicate him because he was saying things that were too offensive to the church. Wow. But when you listen to it, he's just bringing up the facts and then asking questions about it, asking questions that he wants the church itself to answer. And then he has... Um, scholars and historians come onto the show and talk about certain things that are really fascinating that are problems with the church. And then the ch- then they go to the church and say, hey, you know, what What do you have to say about this? And the church says, you're fucking exed. Get out. You're gone. It, it's as with, as with most churches, they will answer all your questions as long as you don't have any. Yep. Right. But <laughs> exactly. It's, it's really short-sighted of the church to do this. Because by cutting those people off, you're, you now you're creating a fountain of information that that's going to get around, right? Instead of, instead of dealing with it. Yes, exactly. It's it's a plume of um, information that is moving towards the mainstream of of the, the more believing members. Because like like you said, Terry, with the availability of the history uh, on the internet, anybody can go and Google the Mormon Church, and that's the first thing that comes up is this stone that Joseph Smith used in his hat, and then they see the the Mormon article on it, and then they the very next line in the or the very next link in the Google search is an anti-Mormon site, a site that you know Mormons label as anti-Mormon. So any believing members that don't want to question their belief don't click on the second link. No. They look at the first one and say, "Oh, okay, well that it's been answered." So anybody that's anti-Mormon doesn't have anything useful to say about it. So I'm church, satisfied. The church presented that stone as one other form of evidence for the validity of the church. Right? right. They have lists and lists of evidences for the church, evidences that the church is true, and any of these essays that come out just reinforce that. They they're so good at spinning it in the ensign and whatever in their articles and their LDS-approved sources that, man, if that's all you saw, you would be right on board with it. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. I'm convinced. I'm going to get a stone, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, going to pick one up on the way And home. a stovepipe hat to look in. <laughs> what yeah. about criticism from the outside? You just saw the Book of Mormon musical. <laughs> I was actually... Um, I was really excited to see because uh, I had heard that the Mormon Church kind of embraced the musical because they had no nothing else to do. They couldn't they they couldn't tell their members not to go see it because then the members would be like, why do, why is there a Broadway play that the church doesn't want me to see? This is weird. I'm going to go see it, right? So they didn't try and suppress it. They just embraced it. 
So when I first walked in, they gave, you know, they gave out each of these pamphlets and they're just advertising local places to go eat or go, you know, to clubs or whatever. But in between those advertisement pages and in the middle of it's the program for the actual show, in between those pages, there's a full one page advertisement on there of a person's face, a person's smiling face, obviously a Mormon. And then, and then there's some kind a of... A white person. Yeah, of course. And she was perfect. <laughs> no, there was one black woman. Oh, no I was way. like, holy shit, what is she doing in <laughs> this here? This is new. <laughs> but, but How'd she get it? It says like these big block letters of think the play is good, read the book. Or the book is even better than the play. It's like, wow, that that's how they embraced it? Hoping that people that go see the play will actually read the book and see what it's about? <laughs> they didn't think... that. Uh, I, I mean, I guess what else could they do? That was really like... I mean, they, they couldn't do anything else, but um, I was just fascinated to see that was the very, very first thing that you see when, you, when you're primed, when you're sitting there waiting for the show to start and you're flipping through the pamphlet. You see a picture of a believing Mormon's face that's smiling and looks so wonderful, and they're so happy about the Book of Mormon, and they saw the musical and they thought it was a faith-building experience, and it's like... How is that musical uh, a faith-building experience? Yeah. I have not seen it. <laughs> it's, it you seems like airing oh. dirty laundry to me. Uh, or... Hmm... Maybe or maybe it's trying to hide the dirty laundry under a dirty rug. Okay. Because they're, 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 the laundry is there and people are talking about it, but the church would much rather just never, ever, ever talk about it. So they, they'll say, okay, so yeah, this exists, but isn't the church no, but, great? But isn't that kind of what the play is doing is kind of airing the Oh, the, the play laundry. itself. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. More or less, yeah. And... Yeah, I, what's, I, I can what's see what you're, you're they, saying. That the church wants to, uh, they'd like to deny it, right? But if right. they do that, they're just going to create more, uh, it's that feedback loop, right? They're going to exactly. get more people going exactly. to see it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think one, I this isn't a criticism of the play, but one thing that is a disconnection from the play to actual believing Mormons and um, outsiders' perspective of Mormons is the play is done completely from a missionary's perspective. So anybody that's ever been on a mission or has been preparing for a mission or knows people that's been on a mission or has grown up in the ex-Mormon culture, they they see the mannerisms, they see the things that are portrayed in the play, and they laugh, and they're great, and they're hilarious, and they see how ridiculous it is. Right. However, I would say, however, believing like believing Mormons that see this dichotomy or, or don't put the connection together of the missionaries to current day beliefs in the church, they, they don't make that connection wholly or completely, and I think that they're still able to uh, suppress the questions that believers might bring up of something that they saw in the play. So this comes back to my not understanding the Mormon perspective. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly it. it then yeah. that's the problem. That's uh, people don't understand how, how Mormons actually feel about the play. Like, um, I went with another ex Mormon and there were, uh, non Mormons that we took with us. And the other, the ex Mormon and I both as ex Mormons were laughing Constantly, we couldn't stop laughing because it was so hilarious. Every single thing, and it was a perfect analog to everything Mormonism and the weird, quirky little mannerisms that that Mormons have, and the things that I've been trying to suppress and change about <laughs> myself so much that we talked about earlier. Integrating into society. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, like the, I don't like. I don't want to talk about the play too much because no, okay, yeah. I want people to go see it. Um, like I spoiler free. Well, that, no, spoiler free. That's exactly right. I I had to get my tickets seven months in advance. Right. And they were sold out the day after I got them because I tried to get more of them for seats that were near and that 
time was this shown. This is the first run. You saw it the first time it came through town then. Uh, no, you just It's saw been it. through Denver is it a sold bunch out? of times. I thought it wasn't sold. I thought... No, no it's, it sold it's still again? sold out. Oh, okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Yeah, because we tried to get tickets too. Yeah, I'd like to yeah. go see it. It's amazing. It is grade A premium level. I mean, it's why it's won, won so many awards. It's because it's right. such an amazing play. Well, Pendulette said that it's the best musical he has ever seen, hands down. I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. I would like to propose that rather than using the word ex-Mormon, we use try, Foreman. No, try Foremormon. Foremormon? No, it's Foreman. It's Foreman. Foreman? Yeah. Uh, Former right? Mormon? Yeah, Former yeah. Mormon's Foreman. Momo, Momo. Yeah. yeah, it's Foreman. Yeah. The second thing is I saw, I saw a piece of fiction by the name of Orgasmo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And this Have is related. Seen that one, that one. <laughs> Have you seen Orgasmo? Uh, oh, so, okay, Matt and Trey, Matt Stone and Trey Parker that create South Park, they uh-huh. they made the, the Book of Mormon the musical. musical. Orgasmo was their second movie? Because Basketball was, was before Orgasmo, right? Well, they well, also no, had yeah, Hannibal. Yeah, also, yeah. they Hannibal did, the they did the Alfred one. Packer the musical prior to that. Yeah. Right. Okay, so Orgasmo was one of their early yeah. movies. Yeah. Yes. And at the beginning of it, Matt and Trey are missionaries, and they're tracting. They're going around to doors, knocking on them, trying to show the Book of Mormon. And they tracked to a, a porn studio. Nice. That's a house. <laughs> and uh, it, things spiral out of control from there. No spoilers. <laughs> but it's amazing. Yeah. I <laughs> highly recommend it. He's got an orgasm gun that I want so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it is also a superhero origin story. Do you shoot yes, the gun exactly. at yourself or at other people? I just have to know this. It's or one both. of the best superhero origin <laughs> stories. Uh, <laughs> I, no, no, no more comments about it. You just go see it. Just watch the movie. It's on Netflix. Watch it. It also um, happens to star several several actual porn actors too. Does it? I was Ron Jeremy is in there. Yeah, that's right. Yes, he is in there. Yeah, bring in the stunt cock. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But yeah, um, so yeah, the the Book of Mormon musical is uh, well, Matt and Trey are so talented. Uh, they grew up Mormon. They're extremely talented, extremely intelligent, and very musically <laughs> suave. They, they can come up with amazing lyrics. And watching it as an ex-Mormon or for Mormon, for Mormon, Foreman. 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 I, I like Foreman a little. Well, okay. Uh, I think, I think that's that more actually, of a, uh, an accepted uh, vernacular. That's for what um, what uh, Brian um, for the there does. Um, I, I heard that I think first from um, the guy who does Mr. Deity, Brian uh, Keith Dalton. He calls it. He calls himself a Foreman. Foreman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, former Mormon. Uh, speaking of their musicals, though, Alfred Packer the musical is definitely definitely watchable. Really? Oh yeah. Well, and uh, even Basketball has a few musical things in it too. That's yeah. that's an amazing movie as well. I mean, there's it's a fun film. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's utterly ridiculous, but and that's that actually if if you want to see the uh the transition of uh Mormons uh like their swearing timeline, go watch Basketball because you <laughs> see like you see um what do they call it? like dissing each other? Disses? Yeah. But th- yeah. They, you see it from like a Mormon perspective, dissing on other people using very offensive language, and it's oh, that's awesome. hilarious. You got to watch it. It's great. Basketball. Basketball. Yeah, right. It's on. Yeah, there baseball. Too. I think I have that one too. Yeah, I know. So. I know. I have it. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Yeah. That being said, that's why the Book of Mormon has won so many awards. It's just because it's so amazing. All yeah. of the musical numbers are so well done. The the sets are perfect the situation especially being a foreman seeing the situation that they've gone into is just amazing i I can't recommend it high enough 
Yeah. So now the other thing that you do, so uh, aside from the Mormon stuff, is that you've had some specials that you put out, and you talk to some some uh, believers, mm-hmm. and and uh, particularly a guy. I think you said his name was Jess. Jesse. Jesse. Yep. You've had some very interesting discussions with this gentleman, and what I liked is that you're both coming from a perspective where you're trying to figure stuff out and, and put put all the pieces together. Yeah. And he is uh, he is half step away from being a. Um, uh, what do you call it? A uh, suppositional um, apologetics is, is where it is, yeah. is where he keeps. It looks like he's going down. He's he's a a big uh, William Lane Craig fan. So is he re- that's, oh, okay. that's where he draws a lot of his arguments from. Yeah, and I mean a lot of people in the atheist circles know that William Lane Craig is kind of the white horse of apologists right. that everybody wants to take down that everybody wants to see just be crushed by somebody. Right. Sam Harris has done a pretty good job against him, but then you have big debaters that have gone against him, like Sean Carroll that got absolutely crushed by Craig. Because he's a good debater, right? Yes, yeah, he, absolutely. Craig, well, that's what he is so good at, is he's a theologian, debater, and an amazing philosopher. He's, he's no Ken Ham, though, right? <laughs> Would you say he's a master debater? <laughs> oh, very <laughs> much so. Yeah, yeah, no, so, yeah, so, uh, but in this, in you, there was one conversation we were having where he indicated that chicks dig jerks. Right, yes. Uh, completely aside from anything we've been talking about exactly. today. Exactly. Yes, well, yeah, I, 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 um, yeah. we, we've gone an hour and a half, so we've got to cover this. Right, okay, very cool. Uh, so he, Jesse's a very interesting person to have discussions with because he's, he's one of the smartest guys I've, I've ever known. He's actually the person that I started debating that was saying Mormonism isn't Christianity. Same guy. Okay. And we've just randomly plugged in a microphone a couple of times when we've been talking with each other. I plan on doing more in the future. But he's kind of gotten to this, this idea that, um, well, I don't know if it's an idea or if it's, um, he's just kind of tampered with the idea maybe, mm-hmm. um, that, um, Historically and evolutionarily speaking, women have gone for men that are more masculine and more alpha, uh, more assertive of their dominance, and therefore more more jerks, right? The, the typical token jerk guy. I, I guess the, the disconnect there is that alpha and dominant doesn't have to mean asshole. But it generally does. Historically speaking, it has yeah, been, though. Sure, That's the thing. Because ha- the, yeah. the alpha or the dominant is the one who defeats everybody else he defeats all other comers yeah absolutely and i think that's kind of what he's basing his logic uh, off of coming to this kind of uh this perspective that you know the guys that are jerks the guys that are you know more complacent towards their women or more mm-hmm. uh more possessive maybe or more uh primal in their actions um they tend to get more women and you do see that when like if you if you run in circles of like going to the bar and trying to pick up chicks that's what you see oftentimes is the alpha male the sure. biggest loudest most asshole guy tends to bring in the chicks he doesn't you know doesn't have a meaningful relationship with the chicks he just you know well let's do a survey one of stands. one let's do a survey of one <laughs> in, Terry. My, in my misspent youth uh <laughs> Those guys seem to have more power. I think it's a power thing. So they fake having power, right? Like social status and power by being loud. And and a lot of times they've got a nice car. They've Mm -hmm. got good clothing. Um, you know, it's, it's, they have, they present a face to the world that is extremely confident and yes, powerful. Yeah. So it's, I think it has to do with social status and status seeking among women to be attracted to that guy because he appears to have a lot of power, a lot of social status and that kind of thing. And now that I'm older and know better, I married a nice guy. All right. It's interesting. Yeah. I've heard um, maybe from a movie or something, but, you know, 
the the jerks those are the ones that you take home but uh the nice guys are the ones that you you know you actually get into a relationship with you i don't even take them home because they're not worth it because it turns out usually that they're insecure whiners behind all of the (laughs) right but i guess i i i just don't think it's the norm i i think it's a stereotype but i i I just well maybe i just don't want to believe it right maybe maybe i'm completely deluded here the problem is if it is a stereotype it's the same thing we've got with you know seeing the supermodel and women thinking okay well I need to be thin like her or else I'm not right. Oh, well, see, there you go. That's a problem. And, you know, you see the same thing. If if it's a stereotype, if you see it everywhere, if it's that much in the culture, then people it, will believe it. I'm not it. sure that I see it on a day-to-day basis. I mean, certainly if you go out to a bar, there's environments where you definitely see it. But I wouldn't say that you see that kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis. Maybe yeah. I don't. Is it I, maybe generational? I don't. Is this guy younger? Probably. I mean, uh, could it be age. that? Yeah, so it yeah, could maybe. be generational. Like women could be. wisen out of that a little bit. And so, you know, you deal with a couple of it, guys like it, that. It's a dangerous one. And, and it, actually, it's dangerous that if we're propagating that through young people, right, it, 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 that's where the danger is. You know, because how... It, it, if we're if we're teaching that to young guys and young girls, where where does it end? So is it an offshoot of high school bully type? Well, I, that's culture, what I, I don't know. I wonder. Yeah, more like up. high school jock type culture, and that can yeah. be a bully culture. But it's more like it's more like an offshoot of high school popularity, where if you go with the captain of the football team, everybody's going to look at you and say, "Oh, she went with the captain of the football team." Well, and you see those people too every day. The the guy that still thinks he's in high school, right? The yeah. guy that is yeah. that loud, boisterous guy thinks that that we're talking about the jerk, right? We see that it's a a mindset that this person has gone into that they've found to be successful. It draws a lot of attention. It draws in women. It draws in uh, people. It draws in a, a culture of people that want to be around this person, and they've they've stuck with it because it's what's been successful. But I think more and more, like. I think right now we're we're like in schools we're at an all time low of bullying because our I think our collective level of empathy has raised. Hmm. Um, I remember hearing stories that my parents tell me of you know the handicapped kid that gets made fun of in school. And my dad is a teacher now. He tells me stories of a handicapped kid that you know works or that is in his school and about the kids that help him to his locker every day. I, you know, it's, I think it's just right. a different dynamic that we're starting to, starting to see that, you know, being the jerk doesn't actually benefit us much more than just being nice to each other. Well, that's because geeks will rule the world. Eventually. We're starting that to see that, true. right? Is there anything? We shall inherit the earth. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, but the, the thing about it is though, these alpha males, these jerks can tell themselves, they can delude themselves into, well, she shot me down, but she's a frigid bitch. I just, I just don't think <laughs> that all alpha males are jerks. So I might I, be I misremembering just... this, but back in anthropology school, we studied chimpanzee troops. And um, so the jerk alpha guy, it would appear to him that he was mating with all of the with all of the females or whatever and controlling all the females, but they were getting side pieces. And so they did DNA analysis of the offspring and a ton of the offspring were not his because uh, women, you know, the females wanted a more reliable, less volatile father for their, 
for their offspring. Exactly. You want somebody who's more compassionate. And right? predictable and yeah. reliable and, yeah, yeah less. absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember hearing of uh, another study. I can't remember exactly where I heard it from. It was recently, though, of uh, another chimpanzee tribe that they were looking at. Um, there's an alpha male that, you know, of course, the one that take down all the other males. He was the alpha. And then there was a subsequent male that found one of the researches garbages, you know, one, mm. one of the like tin garbage cans. And he would run around their their environment and hit this 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 garbage can and make a really, really loud noise. And the alpha male was afraid of it because he didn't know what was going on sure. because this chimp had found a tool to use to overcome his uh, inability to be the alpha. And eventually he became the alpha of the group because he was able to use this tool. Whether or not he was actually the most powerful, it didn't matter because he had the coolest tool. He was the, he, he was right. the geek. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the geek. Also, there didn't he get the inspiration from that from a gigantic black stone obelisk? Or am I thinking of a different chimpanzee? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, no, but it's interesting. Uh, you, you said that about carrying the tin can, tin drum around, and I thought, well, chicks do dig, do dig drummers. Right, true that. Well, true. I mean, we, we can take this all back to Joseph Smith, right? Right, absolutely. I mean, these power plays and stuff like that. I mean, certainly this is what he was doing, mm -hmm, you know, to make, that, to make that correlation. My and anthropology bias is that anytime there's something weird going on like that, like chicks dig the jerks or people following Joseph Smith, it ha there's got to be some tie-in to social status or power or some yeah, power dynamic sure. at and play. One thing that's cool about how Joseph Smith did it is he promised his, uh, the power that you're talking about, he promised that af in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. So, like, his youngest wife was Helen Mark. Kimball married her when she was 14 and I recently came across in the timeline the Book of Mormon was being written in 1829 that's when she was born oh, <laughs> wow. when Joseph Smith was 22 so um, she was married when she was 14 but at the age of nine she was promised to Joseph Smith by her parents because he said that if she marries me, then your entire family will be prosperous in the afterlife. Right. So, so wow. using those power plays to, yeah. Exactly. That's a pretty, that's a pretty devious dowry. That, oh, that, and he would also say that um, if a woman would refuse, this happened on a couple of occasions, if a woman refused his marriage proposal, uh, he said that a, an angel appeared over his bed in the middle of the night with a sword commanding them to get married, and if they didn't, they would both be destroyed. Wow. Didn't he marry a couple of other people's wives as well? Yeah, 11 of his wives were other. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, David did that. Well, yeah. it's, it's biblical. Yeah, yeah it's biblical, yep. absolutely. And he also, you know, David also had uh, a ton of wives, right? And a ton of uh, oh, yeah. concubines. And, absolutely, and Solomon yeah. had a thousand wives. Solomon did, yeah, especially yep. he had a thousand wives. So, yeah. Yeah, so where you head, you're heading up to, up to a forest after this. Yes, I And am. so I wanted to make you aware the forest you're going to has a Sasquatch problem. So do you have a do you have a camera on you? I do, but yeah. it's okay. Um, I'll I'll be able to talk to him because it's Kane. Okay, um, I'll be able to talk to him. He survived the flood somehow. He was able to <laughs> to tread water for a year. Um, so I'll be able to talk to him and good. talk to him about his cursed skin and the mark that he has. The mark. And, good. Uh, good. Yeah. Um, I I I have it on good authority. If I are a firm jerky, he might be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you take pictures of him, expect him to be blurry. The Sasquatches right. are naturally blurry on film. Well, <laughs> because the other thing that we know that the, that Bigfoot up in that area, they use vortexes to travel. Oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. I yes. know, right? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were, you were saying vortex. I thought you were saying they were wearing Gore-Tex. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. Everybody's camouflage. wearing Gore-Tex. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, this has been great. We have 
we've gone here hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> so we've got much so fun. much stuff. We could uh, keep I and mean, we could keep going, but I really appreciate you coming and talking to us. This has been yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, get us all together like this. Yeah, well, thanks for, yeah, I mean, in-person interviews are way, way better than Skyping yeah, or anything. We don't do the face-to-face thing tell, very often. Tell everybody about your Patreon, because, of course, these right. things are expensive to do, mm-hmm. and believe me, I know. So, right. yeah. So, oh, looking at all the equipment on the table, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> yeah, it's not cheap. Yeah. So, so tell, I mean, so how, how do people find you? How do they support you? How, I mean, how do we keep you going so that you keep giving us all this nonsense? <laughs> right. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> Actually, yeah, Um, you can just check out the show Naked Mormonism pretty much anywhere that podcasts are held. Um, Facebook, Twitter, I'm on there as well. Um, I actually have somebody that runs the Facebook page for me. Um, yeah. Demonista, she goes by, and she posts way way more than i could ever try and cover in any of the episodes there's there's tons of articles and links link holes to click and i check out the facebook page anybody that's listening check it out it's amazing um other than that yeah um if you want to support the show you can go on to patreon.com um there you support a certain amount uh there's different rewards for different levels of patronage and then uh half of all of those profits actually goes to a foundation called holding out help and uh, they're a foundation that is based out of Salt Lake City, and they um, help polygamist families transition out of the cult that they're in. Um, if oh, wow, uh, okay. if a like a a sister wife calls them and says, "Hey, I you know I'm this is where I am. I have three kids. I I need to get out." Um, what what can you do for me? They'll they'll come in the middle of the night with vans and pick them up. Oh wow! Like they're they're okay. hardcore. They're they're an organization that's on the front lines fighting against the the horrible indecency of polygamy. And uh, yeah, I I vetted them as a good organization, okay. and I I give half of all the profits to them, and um they they're appreciative. They've sent me quite a few emails about how much they appreciate what they're the support, and um I mean even what the Going and getting the people out of the cult isn't what costs money. It's um, supporting them afterwards. Right. Getting them an education so they can actually survive in the real world on them on their own is very very expensive, and they're they're helping out hundreds of people. Okay. Now, let me time. throw in yeah. here that you're talking about institutionalized polygamy, where it's essentially a form of slavery. Exactly. Yes. I don't yes. have anything yeah. against polygamy per se. That's a yes. choice. And that's that's a completely different yeah. different, a different conversation. Yeah. yeah. This is this is very very patriarchal uh this is the the flds warren jeff's type of um horrible horrible polygamy i myself yeah. happen to be polyamorous there you go i love a parrot, <laughs> love that, a that's, parrot. Uh, no there's our bird joke for yeah, the day there we go that's why it's a parody podcast right. well carrie did we cover all your questions i mean i think so uh, yeah life is great. good now you're happy that you're out Okay. I couldn't be happier. All right. I, yeah. I, I, when I was younger in the church, I was very depressed and hated life. And now that I'm out and I understand the world much better, I'm much happier. Oh, that's right. good. Okay, great. Well, thank you for coming. Yeah, Bryce, say fuck first one more time. <laughs> fuck yes. It feels good to be out. <laughs> <laughs> that's our show. And that's another one of the camp. Well, if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time. You're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. You could always roast us in a voicemail at 720-295-7785. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Sharealike No Derivatives 3.5 license. So hand it to an unsuspecting friend, but please just don't change the content. Intro music by Peter Canold. 
Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraitry.